This is Foul Players Radio, your podcast for arts, entertainment, and pop culture. Welcome. My name is Michael Spedden, your host. Every episode features fun, fascinating stories about people in the performing arts, actors, authors, dancers, writers, musicians, athletes, you name it. Folks who are center stage, backstage, on camera, or behind the scenes. Sit back and listen. Let's have some fun. Foul Players Radio is a proud production of the Foul Players Group and the official podcast of the Foul Players of Perryville. And welcome back to Foul Players Radio. My name is Michael Spedden. Tonight's guest is Jess Paul. Jess is an American actor and producer known for the award-winning short A Funny Man, Reverie TV's Promenade, and the 2014 official Sundance Film Festival selection The Immaculate Reception, and recently appeared in former guest Richard Burgeon's film Fang. At 19, she self-produced the rock news web show, Wrecked Radio News, which obtained YouTube partnership, 3 million-plus views, and an international fan base before ending in 2014. She's portrayed significant roles in notable film, TV, and web series, including Vicky in Rehabilitation of the Hill, Myra in Fang, and her dual roles in upcoming Austin Revolution Film Festival selectee Galadia. We had a great time talking about past projects and what lies in the future. It was an excellent interview. Subscribe for free at www.foulplayersradio.com or listen wherever you find podcasts online. No matter what platform you listen on, you can help us greatly by giving us a fair review and a five-star rating. Also, be sure to visit our page on patreon.com, www.patreon.com slash foulplayersradio. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Foul Players of Perryville are back and have many shows booked for the fall and winter of 2021-22. to See our schedule at www.foulplayersofperryville.com. For bookings, we can be reached by phone at 443-600-0446 or by mail at foulplayersperryville at yahoo.com. Stick around for Jess Paul. So, folks, welcome back to Foul Players Radio. Tonight, we have a special guest, Jess Paul. Jess, I met uh, online not too long ago in the podcasting and acting community. Um, She has actually worked with a couple of people that I've had on the show before, and um, she's done lots of great things in her acting career. So, Jess, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Hello. Thank you. We're all big one happy family, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We all kind of know each other, uh, but for some reason or by some means, isn't it? Yes. It's the truth. It's the truth. We all kind of get around and, uh, there are no strangers. They're just friends. We haven't met yet. Right. Oh, that's lovely. That's a lovely sentiment. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so tell us, you know, you're come, we're kind of coming out of pandemic here. We're kind of coming out of hibernation. Um, you know, what's it like for you? Have you, uh, you know, we're all kind of blowing the dust off of ourselves and, you know, getting our skills sharp again. And how are you doing with it? It's very interesting. So I'm the kind of person who, who really never does sleep on any, some kind of work. So Mm -hmm. I basically took the pandemic to basically, you know, save up that money. I did lose my, my main income, like for two months during the pandemic and in the beginning. So it was very scary. And, And so when I did get it back, I kind of put my nose to the grindstone in case, anything like that was going to happen again, because 
from the very beginning of the pandemic and all the way through, it was a mystery about what was going to happen and how it was going to play out and how long it was going to last. So it was kind of playing it by ear, holding down the fort until we finally got to the end. And it feels like the end and then the beginning of going back the way it used to be. And my LA market has been fun. Um, We catapulted back into business and activity and I'm doing probably twice as many auditions as I did before the uh, the the pandemic mm-hmm. because everybody's just raring to go. Everybody's taking all those projects that they were they were meant to do in these in this last year and just throwing it all at the wall to to get some some work done and some income coming back into the bank. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think this time was really a good chance for people to sort of uh go back to the drawing board and reinvent themselves and come out with new content. Um, I know a number of people that are in the recording studio uh, coming out with new material that they're just eager to start playing in public. Uh, We've been writing new shows and new uh, silliness for our audience with my murder mystery company, the foul players of Perryville. You know, I've been doing a lot of podcasting and networking that way and taking classes and polishing my act up to hit the ground running, you know, and so far we've been very fortunate. Um, We're just, you know, people are starting to kind of come out of hibernation. Um, I think some people are a little nervous because they're talking about a resurgence or a variant of the damn COVID and um, so I think there's still some that's yet to be seen, but I really think the uh, light at the end of the tunnel is getting bigger, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah. yep. So where are you based? Uh, where, where, what part of the country are you based in, Jess? Los Angeles. Oh, you're out in LA. Okay. Okay. So the big three hour time difference, I'm an East coast guy. So yeah, uh, I did that math when you sent me, yeah. The <laughs> yeah, yeah I, do, I have yeah. to do it with pretty much everyone because I am out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's my home city. Oh, is that right? Is that right? Yeah. I'm not, well, I'm, I'm a Baltimore boy, but I have right. a lot of family that came from the Pittsburgh area, you know, my, you know, my grandfather's family, they used to call it pencil tucky around there. You know? Oh, great. <laughs> and, uh, that, so- that sounds so highfalutin. Oh my God. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I've got some very good friends from Pittsburgh, you know, some very, very good friends from Pittsburgh. I'm of course, I'm an old Baltimore Colts and Baltimore Ravens fan. And, um, can't say the Steelers are my favorite thing, but you know, um, I have to respect it. You know, you got to respect it. Well, see, when you're from Pittsburgh and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've lived there your whole life, you're kind of a default Steelers fan. Um, <laughs> yes. the, thing, the thing is about me is that I know nothing about sports in general. I care oh, okay. nothing about sports in general. Yeah, so yeah. I actually, my first kind of um, introduction into more professional filmmaking and acting, I started I started auditioning for film at about 22 years old when I got out of college Mm -hmm. because I realized that Pittsburgh was a hub for movies and commercials and television that was being kind of exported out. You know, they were bringing in a lot of LA talent, a lot of the main principal LA crew into our tax exemption city. And they were using us and our smaller crew and our, our hometown actors to be maybe some of like the background players we had Uh at the time we had, uh, Batman's Dark Knight, which was a huge thing for us to have to be hosting in the city. So I saw that and I'm like, oh, 
I had just gone to art school. I had just graduated from art school, meaning like I was going to basically shove that acting pipe dream aside and just try to get into a design and marketing career. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is possible because I had also over my over the course of my my college experience, I started a YouTube show and it became popular enough that people like could recognize me on the street. It was it was a, a really amazing experience, something that I'm continuing to envelop till to this day, which is, you know, YouTube in general. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, wow, this this new era of self-producing or maybe maybe you can call it a little bit more worldliness as a as I once thought that you had to be in LA, you had to be in a big market to do anything. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. it's actually a chance for people to get their foot in the door, even if they're from, you know, little, little market like Pittsburgh. So I started acting and about nine months into me auditioning, I got a role in a film called The Immaculate Reception. Oh, yes. Yeah. If you're familiar with that term, it's mm-hmm. this very famous football play and it basically was the thing that put Steelers on the map for the very first time in their entire career. Mm -hmm. And so it was a 15 minute short, something around there, 14 to 16 minutes. I, I always can't remember, but it, it ended up being accepted into Sundance in 2014. So I was able to go to Sundance and, and represent, you know, myself as like this very early actor, but you know, I got to meet other other actors above my caliber and walk down main street and the snowy, you know, mountains and everything. Oh yeah. And it was, it was fantastic. So when I went to Sundance, which what is really funny is that, you know, when you go to a, I, I know that it's a little bit different maybe for a, a little bit of like the, the lower, not lower status, but like maybe some of the other, festivals, you get to be a lot more friendly and personable with people. And just at least that's what I like to do. But when it came to my first big festival, I was just trying to represent the film and trying to represent myself in the best way possible. So I was just, you know, almost as a cassette tape playback, just just telling everybody what the movie was about. And that included to relay the football play and what it actually was. Well, the thing is, Me trying to explain a sports play is almost like me repeating a, a language in mm-hmm. in Japanese, like like <laughs> yeah, a sentence, yeah. like that I've never that I've only heard once, like a week ago, and right. I have to remember it. So I went and I told about a hundred people exactly what the play was. Came back to Pittsburgh to tell my friends what I had said, and they said that is not it. That is not what happened, <laughs> Jessica. <laughs> Well, I you know, still to this day do not know what the football play is. I've had it explained to me last week, mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. do not know or care. So I, I, I was uh, that was I think in 1972. And you are correct, sir. Yep, that was in 1972, and I started following football around 74 or 75 uh, when I was just a like kindergarten or first sure. grade, and I remember those Steeler teams very very well because they used to pound the hell out of the Colts in the playoffs, and I remember. As a matter of fact, this is something you may want to, it's a pretty interesting thing to look up. I'm probably not if it has anything to do with football, but go ahead. (laughs) Well, uh, the the thing is, there was a, um, the Steelers came to Baltimore for a playoff game in Mm -hmm. 76 and they completely stomped the Colts. The Colts just could not get anything going. And in the fourth quarter, uh, there was a drunk person got into a single engine Cessna plane 
and started throwing toilet paper out the window and buzzing the stadium and everything. And he was Whoa. drunk and he crashed into the upper deck. Damn. Yeah. What, what a, an event to happen at, at such an event, like yeah. double whammy. Yeah. Now, oh, thank gosh. God that the Steelers did pound the hell out of the Colts because people had started leaving, you know, early. Oh, I see. <laughs> and um, it was a, uh, you know, the, it was a single engine plane and you know, the pilot survived. Nobody was hurt. But that was an event. I remember that. And um, I was just a kid when that happened. But, um, and, you know, between Baltimore and Pittsburgh, and again, I know you're not into sports, but between the Pirates and the Orioles and a couple of World Series and the Steelers and the Ravens and the Steelers and the Colts back in those days, there was just a lot of sports history there. But um, there was some history yeah, for sure. There definitely history was. was and, you know, too, I mean, there is there is a, a pretty good art scene in Pittsburgh. It's, it's a respectable art scene out there. They have a uh, yeah, they have the you know, there's a, a very good theater. Um, there's a good theater scene out there and there have been some well-known actors that have come from Pittsburgh, you know, uh, I mean, some that come to mind, Jeff Goldblum, Burt Mustin, Charles Grodin, Michael um, Keaton. Keaton. Uh, yeah, there, there's a good number and you could probably name a list as long as my right arm of people that came from there. And, um, it's, it's a very well-respected town as far as the arts go and everything. Again, it's not the big market, you know, but uh, they, I think they definitely hold their own. They definitely hold their own out there. You it's know? a really good place to start and mm-hmm. to, and to build what, what you want to become because yep. you have this, it's kind of this in between place where there is a lot of independent, you know, films being made, but at the same time, you aren't, it, it's not a, a flooded market. Like right now where I am, I'm in an ocean of saturation. Everybody mm-hmm. yeah. wants to be on the big screen. Everybody wants to be the star. But w- the number that I found out when I moved here is that an average of 4,000, I'm going to say females because I'm speaking specifically about my demographic mm-hmm. when I'm submitting to a casting call that's on the major casting call websites. There are 4,000 people average, females. Uh, 20 to 30, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that are, are vying for the same role. That means mm-hmm. that that casting director or that director has to look at that many people. They will not see them all. So it's like you don't only have such a small chance. You might not even have a chance when you are submitting. So it is it gets pretty daunting in that way. Mm-hmm. But it, when I was in Pittsburgh, it felt like at some point I had reached all these milestones and experienced enough that I had, I felt like I had hit a ceiling. So mm-hmm. it was basically like, go try the big, like the big game and uh, getting into sports, go, go for the big <laughs> game, the big team, you know, and, uh, or, or just kind of settle for always having a day job, which to be honest, in mm-hmm. in LA, it's, you know, you're, you probably still will have that day job, day job for quite a while, mm-hmm. but, but you really can't have any sort of career in in Pittsburgh when it comes to being a professional actor full-time. Yeah, I, right. I'd love to meet the people that, that uh, have, have accomplished that because I want to shake their hand and congratulate them. It's the same way over here on the East coast in Baltimore as well. Um, you, you can make some money doing it and things like that, but I tell you, you know, I'm, um, I'm a good bit older than you, but the, um, the best show business advice I ever got was a long time ago. And that was don't quit your day job. 
because I still have mine too. And it's, you know, again, you know, I, I do have the opportunities to go out and try things and to, you know, work and stuff like that, but I still have, you know, my main bread and butter, which is a day job, you know, um, but you know, Baltimore and DC and, and, you know, kind of like what you were saying too, it's, it's very similar in a lot of ways when, it, cause I came up playing music. I wasn't always an actor. I didn't get into acting what actually. What kind of music until, did you play? Oh, heavy metal. I was in hair bands. Oh yeah. <laughs> hair bands and uh, no, no, the pants don't still fit. Not by a long shot. Um, goth bands, uh, hair bands. Um, it was between my big time in playing in bands was like between 87 and 94. And then I still play now, but it's like acoustic music and that sort of thing. But um, between 87 and 94, that was like the uh, the L.A. years going into the Seattle years, you know, when those scenes were kind of big. Sure. And um but yeah, uh, you know, we used to play down here and, you know, Baltimore and DC had big scenes. Um, DC was a little more alternative oriented. Baltimore was a little more metal and hard rock, but the goal here was to get to New York, you know, cause mm-hmm. New York mm-hmm. had a really good scene and that's where that a lot of record companies next, were. The next yeah. That city, was the yeah. next step. And then, you know, going to Nashville kind of came later, Nashville, was more of a country, not really open to right. rock back in those days, but yeah, it, it's interesting. And, um, and then too, you know, that just like in Pittsburgh, you know, Baltimore has had their share of television shows and movies filmed here, you know, Barry Levinson, John waters, then the wire and the corner and homicide and a number of other ones. So, um, but it's, it's always, you know, there, um, you know, but the bigger tier places are, you know, the New York's and LA's and, but um, there are a lot of opportunities in other markets coming too, um, like Atlanta. There's a lot going on there. Um, Texas, you know. Um, well, this is the thing that, that that I believe is really happening now, and I almost don't even want to make it sound like a complaint that like Pittsburgh wasn't doing enough for me. Oh yeah, yeah especially now, especially now, I just said that like the only reason that I got my start and decided to go for the actor pipe dream was because I had a successful YouTube show. And nowadays, talking about other social media as well, you can build yourself just like this podcast, you know, just like your own podcast, Mm -hmm. you can build yourself without even having to be in a major city because you're in a bedroom and that's the only location you need. You need a a couple pieces of cheap equipment and some talent, maybe not even talent. Some people really make it to the top (laughs) without such, but, but now more than ever, it really is the time for the individual artist or the DIYer or the person that wants to do it all. Because like I, I write, I, produce. I, I know every aspect of filmmaking. I've been every single crew member at least once. And if I have a bit of a sense of how to do that, then I can make my own career path. And I started to, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, but you know, just to want to be auditioning all the time, I couldn't do that back in Pittsburgh. I have to be here, uh, in this market and it, like to, to actually be in things that are going on on a very regular basis, I guess. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Uh, so uh, you've had a couple of projects you were telling me about here and I want to respect that, you know, there's sometimes there, there's always a point where you're not allowed to talk about them and then you are allowed to do you have, or any of your recent ones, um, anything that you are at Liberty to share with us? I can. Uh, it's just that I I don't have a debut date. So it's like, what's okay. the worth of promoting kind of thing? Okay. Uh, 
because because everything is still kind of starting itself back up yeah. or finishing itself in the shadows behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I can talk about them. Uh, my two features that are on the horizon are mm-hmm. called Galatea and Fang. Fang is the one that you talked to R- Richard Bergen about. Nice kid. I, nice guy. I really like him. Yeah. Great guy. I loved working on both of those projects. Galatea was one that I produced as well as acted in. And then I got to travel to Chicago to be in Fang, which was, it's kind of like the epitome of the dream that I want, where I can travel across the country, be hired in these, in these movies and these, you know, maybe projects. And honestly, if I could do that for the rest of my life without my name really being known, like that's fine with me. I would mm-hmm. love to do that. And, yeah. and Fang was great for that. Yeah, I, I, he was telling me a lot about Fang, and um, you know, he had a lot of obstacles to go through and everything as he was putting it together. But you know, he was able to make it happen. And you know, Galatea, uh, that, that's you know, you said that was pretty much one that you you're producing, right? Right. I was yeah. I was co-producer with okay. with the director producer, one of my very good friends, Ben Wilson, and it was another kind of skeleton crew that again, the DIYing all the mm-hmm. way up to the top, uh, non-existent budget kind of thing, working mm-hmm. with people that we've been working with for the last five years and using all the resources that we could get our hands on in Pittsburgh. Ben is sure, so resourceful sure. and so smart at just pulling the strings together to, to create something out of thin air almost with, mm-hmm. with, just his own ideas and talent and and kind of when it comes to smart filmmaking as i call it there's a lot of trickery where you're trying to make something that you have the resources for like instead of trying to write from the top down and then find all the things that you need right with what you have in mind if you mm-hmm. have actors that you know could fill certain roles if you have location oh my god locations you know that you can utilize instead yeah. of searching them out and maybe getting them or not, or paying a a bunch of money in order to just get a bar, you know, (laughs) just like, just write, write in and and start planning out with what you have and just make something good out of that. Make something Mm -hmm. good quality with those, the best parts that you already have. And, And that's what I've always believed in when it came all the way down to like starting your first two minute, three minute, four minute short to producing your first feature, because I have watched, Oh man, have I watched a ton of indie producers uh, believe, I don't know. I don't know if they, they just believed or didn't know how hard it was going to be to produce a feature or they believed it was really all in the back pocket and they had everything that they needed. And then when it came down to it, they had a project that they basically had to abandon and shelve wasting so much time, so much money, so many people's, uh, time and money um, in order to come up with nothing. Because if you don't finish a project, you do not have a project. You yep, do not have yep. something to mm-hmm. show for it. So it's ever since I started figuring out this whole filmmaking thing, like I have a, a blog on my own website that documents everything that I've learned so far. I, I have always been preaching, start small, start smart, just try to build a portfolio from tiny pieces so that you have something to show people. The first film that I ever produced first and only to this point, um, film, I I technically produce a a film every single week for YouTube in some capacity. Like I am technically right in the middle of producing my own, um, audio play. Like, like, you know, you do, uh, I wrote my own 
my own scary story. That's something that I do on, on the channel. And I, I voice every single person. If it's a man, if it's a child, I, I know how to, uh, you know, um, Oh, that's cool. Audio enough. Yeah. You can, you can listen to it. It's going to be called bystander and will be on my, it will literally be on the, the channel in a couple hours. And so, and it has uh, some minimal visuals with it as well. And some, mm. some audio production as far as like sounds and spookiness. That's and, cool. That's cool. Yeah. And, um, and so, but anyways, the, the one that I kind of, the traditional thing that I put into festivals was a movie called Promenade. It was four minutes long, including the credits. And I used my, my cast and crew, minimal cast and crew. This is like a one scene kind of movie. It's a slice of life. And I used my own backyard. I was trying to think, what is one location that's cool that I actually have my hands on that I have control over? And the, you know, when I grew up, I had a pretty, a pretty medium, you know, like, uh, like I I was, uh, what do you want to call it? Like, um, like a middle American kind of, kind of lifestyle. But Mm -hmm. one really cool thing that we had was a swimming pool. And so I'm like, this pool is so beautiful and I don't even use it enough. So I dressed the setup to make it look like it was like a resort, like kind of a, you know, like that, like a, like a hotel Mm -hmm. and put these three people, these three kids at a prom and they had a discussion and it was topical. It was like LGBT topical and it was poignant. And it was, it was my favorite type of acting and directing basically filmmaking is hyper natural acting to the Mm -hmm. point where the actors might be saying lines and tripping over themselves, stuttering because that's how people really talk. <laughs> you know, I love that kind of that kind of material. So I tried to basically take everything I loved and knew and put it into four minutes of production. We we worked all the way overnight. It like it was an eight hour or, or maybe more than that uh, shoot overnight. Uh, it was one thing that's funny, too, about this movie is I don't know if you you would ever know this, but cicadas and or whatever else makes noises at night in the in your mm-hmm. woods back behind your house they change frequencies and tunes over time so as i was editing this movie i could hear that in between the different takes and different shots the the cicadas were singing in different pitches so i wow. had to like no kidding fade, in, fade their music in and out between lines in this beautiful like uh cacophony um of 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 music of, of bug music and <laughs> I I think it turned out all right I was really trying to hide it I should probably not mm-hmm. talk about it maybe people won't notice but yeah it was it was it was such a learning <laughs> experience and that's the thing because as much as I've even been on set I had been on uh, you know a couple dozen movies or projects up until that point but you never know what you don't know mm-hmm. and you do not know how hard it's going to be until you put your hands into it so sure. so that was the that was my experiment. I think that people should do many of those. I myself, like, I want to be an actor first, but because of the nature of competition these days, how many people can be or want to be in the entertainment industry, I believe, and you can listen to any podcast that I have been on, I believe you have to do more than anyone ever did before because you're expected to, mm-hmm. because you can, because the equipment is more available than it was 20 years ago. You oh, can yeah. buy the camera they are using on, you know, Hollywood's biggest movie with your own money if you want to save up and you have access to it. Uh, same with everything else, the auto, the audio equipment, the the LED lights, like they are at your disposal and there are 
there are just dozens of free YouTube videos waiting to tell you how to use it all if you just spend the time to figure it out. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And I, I've been learning a lot of new things, too, just even just for the audition process during uh uh, during quarantine, you know, uh, learning how to you know splice videos together and um, you know edit videos and all that stuff. I, I, I had no clue how to do that, but I had to learn how to do it real quick. You know, um, and how and even, about yeah. that? Like yeah. I did five auditions yesterday, all in this one bedroom mm -hmm. and all different genres. And one thing that was so Okay, I, I have a little story about that because, yes, exactly. I didn't audition during the pandemic. I told you before we went on air that I actually took myself completely out of the game. Yeah. My mm -hmm. my agent w was still, like, sending me things here and there, and I was finally like, stop. It's not even worth it, in my opinion, for my own perceived safety and, and everybody else's that would ever be around me mm -hmm. to go out to these auditions because – the things that he was sending me on weren't worth it anyways. So I was just like, let, I'm going to, I'll tell you when I'm ready to come back. And it was basically, you know, the two, the two weeks or three weeks after I got my, my second shot, you know, and I was like, okay, I'm good. So, well, there was this one project that I did where, you know, I, I would say like 96% of these auditions that I've been doing in the last few weeks have been self tape. I went to one, I went to one physically because why not? Like, I mean, I mean, why, why, bring people in. I think everybody realized when they can just sit, sit in their offices and look at videos. I mean, there, there is a, there is an answer to that. It's that you have, you do not have control over all of the video quality, you know, of everybody else. So mm -hmm. that's obviously the one downside. But again, like I was just saying a couple minutes ago, we have all these new resources of the 2020, you know, post era um the the camera phones the webcams the the cheap audio and video equipment that you can buy and put in your house in your bedroom so i got to see a little bit behind the curtain because i i actually auditioned for something recently a part i got like a, a nice little project congrats i ended up getting now they're doing some of this stuff called um user-generated content, which is which are the commercials that you see um, a bunch of like influencer type people doing in their own bathrooms, like skincare lines where the girls are just putting, you know, stuff on mm -hmm. their face and showing you how excited they are. Because to be honest, nowadays with the YouTube, with the TikTok, with the Instagram generation, we honestly will take more stock into somebody being natural and being at home telling us that they genuinely genuinely love a product more than maybe a super hyper expensive commercial that they're they're filling with a bunch of lights time and money. So mm -hmm. it's actually very valuable content. And I did one that there was a little comical recently, but the thing is the same casting director that was asking us to to submit our auditions he he gave us the of us uh, sending it directly to the audition site and to the casting call website. And he left the, the, the uh, Dropbox open, meaning that once I went back to check to make sure that I didn't forget anything in this Dropbox, I saw everybody's audition. <laughs> mm -hmm. Everybody's audition was in there. I'm like, oh my God, he didn't <laughs> close it. I watched every single audition because it was such a gift to mm -hmm. see what some of my competition was these days. And 
there were so many things that I was so grateful for that because of being on YouTube and knowing a lot about this whole setup, like I, I didn't have to fast track it. I already had the, like the nicer camera, the nicer microphone, the nicer background. Um, I didn't, I didn't have to figure that out. And so mine comparatively looked so much more professional. I was the only one that was using a, an actual DSLR as opposed to my, my camera phone holding it mm-hmm. right in front of me. Right. Right. And then I also, um, well, it was asking for another thing that I've been really lucky to practice with YouTube, especially in the past, this, this past year was that I I'm trying to write intentional comedy. Like, you know, like, like I've, I've been writing, um, comedy screenplays my whole life until I had to do an audition for, um, a, a comedic YouTube makeup brand and they wanted it to be funny. And so for the first time, I'm like, let me actually try to write jokes instead of just trying to come up with something on the spot where I like make a funny face and that's the extent of it. So <laughs> I've been really practicing actually writing intentional comedy. So for this same audition, the one where all the, the people were in the Dropbox, I had written it. It said, you can ad lib. So I had written jokes every other line and it, it was the thing. I think that like, you know, the, the very... Um, specific and professional presentation matched with the the comedy that I've been practicing writing. It, I think was the thing that got me the job and I got the job. So uh, I, this, this is just a testament to say, like, honestly, if you have the means, even if you don't have the means, because I did not start as start out as a comedian, um, try, try more, try, push yourself beyond what you think you can, because you have the resources. Do not tell me you do not. Do not tell me you do not because you do um, and try, try because it's out there. It's waiting for you. Yeah. You, you know, another thing too was um, in, in this past year, a, another kind of phenomenon or another trend. I mean, you were saying like a lot of commercials have kind of gone to the YouTube influencers and the TikTok people and everything, just trying things out and doing their own testimonial. But another thing that was that my manager was talking to us about, she took an inventory of all of our equipment. You know, what do we have? Yeah, she wanted to know the speed of your computer, what kind of microphones mm-hmm. you have, what kind of you know cameras you have, what kind of phone you have. I mean, you iPad. guys represent her too, you know. Yeah, yeah, and um, and I had seen a number of auditions. I mean, I didn't get any of them, but they were saying um, in the notes that you get when you get a you know a casting call or a posting like that, they were saying that um, if you get this, you agree to allow us to come to your home to film this, or you agree to set up your living room a certain way because we're filming this commercial over zoom. Um, and we'll tell you how to arrange things for the shots. And we're going to be somewhere else. And you're going to have to have, you know, a good quality phone or a good quality, you know, or like a nice MacBook or something like that to use. Um, just amazing how things have changed. And, you know, and, um, I think there there could be a possibility. Yeah, well, you know, it could, and it might, it might not. I thought that that was mostly a COVID thing with the parameters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Some people could say, "Hey, you know, they 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 prefer it." You know, Uh, you never know. Yeah, it depends on how how good it worked out because Mm -hmm. I I actually ran into a couple of those things too, but Mm -hmm. I I would suspect it is a real. For that specifically, depending on because that that's a final pro- product yeah. that is not as influ. Well, I guess it depends on what it was. But yeah, it's definitely a possibility these days, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It sure is. It sure is. You know, um, and and it also depends on you know once those projects are finished, 
yeah. and they're out there and every, how effective are they? Did they actually yes. sell the product? You know, did people like the commercial? Because, you know, there's nothing worse than putting all that money into a commercial. And then, you know, the commercial comes out. Everybody's like, God, I hate that commercial click. <laughs> you know, they don't even pay attention to what it's for or buy the product. What kind you know? of pro- projects were asking to film in, in uh, like a person's home? Um, some of them were I only for remember one, a couple of them I saw were for, um, medications, um, like you know, medicines. Um, so interesting. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, it was huh. mostly like pharmaceuticals, medicines, that kind of thing. Um, wow. And then, and then some of them too were, I, I don't know if you ever get casting calls or auditions for like training and industrial films. Sure. Yeah. There, there were a couple that were like that too. Okay. okay. Yeah. A couple that were like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and then some of them, you know, were, you know, you had to have a green screen behind you, you film you and they do the rest. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. my. Yeah. Man, yeah. My, I can't believe that. I mean, I do believe you, but like that mm-hmm. is quite a feat to try to accomplish because I, my YouTube show, actually you brought up, you know, you were in a band, the, the show that, that put me on track to possibly, you know, obtaining an entertainment career was a rock show. It was called mm-hmm. Rex Radio. And I did utilize a green screen, didn't utilize it well. <laughs> <because laughs> yeah, it's yeah. very hard to light and to, you know, make mm-hmm. sure it looks yes. perfect. So every week, literally up until I was done using the green screen, every single week was a a gamble. <laughs> did yes, I yeah. light it well enough? What is it gonna look like? And I basically just had to take what I got. Uh yeah. So mm-hmm. yes. I mean some things um I- I've seen a good number of green screen movies and the it, it's either with me, it's either been hit or miss when I'm watching it. Like some of the times I'm just watching some of these things and I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. You're like, right. Or, Oh, Hey, not bad. You know, good job on that. You know, it either works sure. or it doesn't, you know, sure. um, let, let me ask you this here. Did you ever have a, uh, did you have a theater background too? Did you do theater and stuff when you were growing up? Yeah, it was basically the only outlet I had for some type of acting. I don't I don't prefer it because just like I said a, a couple of minutes ago, I really prefer doing seeing and, and doing things that come as close to naturalism as possible. So mm-hmm. so theater acting is quite the opposite. You have to right. project, you have to emote and it that kind of defeats the entire because like you would think and and a lot of actors do cross over very well and they love both but (laughs) but for me it almost defeats the entire purpose of why i love to act and what what i get out of acting Mm -hmm. i want to convince somebody that the lines that they're listening to were not written on paper i want to convince people that what they're watching was not filmed in you know five to seven takes Mm-hmm. That's kind of, so that's that's why for me theater doesn't compute and and when people want to ask me about it I'm probably going to give them some you know it's not it's not, like I'm really I'll say this I am very 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 grateful for the community that I grew up in oh, my yeah. 
my um, theater was actually across the street from my house. It was at a community center. I was literally the epitome, the epitome of like, you know, community theater uh, player and that in mm-hmm. the, the costume, the costume uh, place was right down the street from that. So I was always kind of, I had my hands in that, but it re- was really just kind of the surrogate for what I really wanted to do, which was filmmaking. And I started playing around with it at the end of high school, a little bit more and in college until again, I, I did the YouTube show and then I, I, I ultimately started, you know, acting in and, and making my own movies. Mm-hmm. But, um, but as far as theater goes, cause for me, I don't have a professional education in, in acting, which would most likely be mm-hmm. a theater school. You right, go to right, theater right. school to learn this. Mm-hmm. And for me, as I was coming up and, and kind of, again, DIYing my style, my, the kind of execution that I wanted to do, mm-hmm. I started to to get a, afraid that even if I did go to some kind of school, I say this a lot and I might regret it because I might find that teacher one day that will really speak to me, but I was really afraid of adulterating what I had already accomplished. Like I've, I've gone to Sundance, I've won awards for my acting, but it wasn't through the, uh, the traditional sense of, of, you know, um, pretending you're in a room in your mind, you know, and, and getting really, uh, fruity about it. I don't know what, what the other word would be, but mm-hmm. like, I just, I, I really love getting down to the, the, uh, you know, being a producer, I want to be very logical and very technical about how to execute something. Mm-hmm. It's very funny because this, the same project that I'm editing right now for tonight, the last one I did, I loved the story, but what I realized was I I'm recording all of the voices, but at the same time, I'm sometimes forgetting how they play off of one another. So now I'm going back and editing. I'm like, that performance was too big for that response. So now I want to go back and re-record it. So Mm -hmm. the whole idea of production and creating a frame, creating a, a, a feel, a motif, a moment, a very close up piece of emotion that you almost can't see even with your eyes. Sometimes if you're in the same room as somebody, that's mm-hmm. what, that's what the magic of, of film and acting is to me. So theater is, is as far as, as the moon, as far as like, you know, something that I either know or want to uh, I- I- embrace, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to sorry, ask you uh, th- this too. I ask a lot of bands, um, have you ever had any spinal tap moments? If you know what I mean by that, any disasters, have you ever had anything go horribly wrong during any kind of performance that you've done? Oh my Would you God, like I to share an experience? <laughs> yeah, please do tell. I have a couple stories and, and, and there are more on my YouTube channel. If you okay. are going to like some of these stories, but yeah, I've actually spelled them out. So I just told this, I just told this story the other day, actually, it's one of my favorite stories and it's about immaculate reception. Um, I've done more movies than that one, <laughs> but, but there, and there were other stories that were connected to my other movies that I've done, but this one is just such a good one. So one thing to know about me is that I'm actually allergic to, I'm one of those annoying people that's allergic to all nuts and peanut butter and peanuts. Hmm. Okay. I, and what happens to me is that I've never thank 
thank the the you know the heavens that are that are watching over me. Um, I've never gone into anaphylaxis or or gone into a state where like I I die. I obviously have never died. Yeah, but what yeah. happens to me? And this is how I like to explain my allergy to people. So I don't know if you've ever touched poison ivy or something like that that oh, starts yeah. to make you irritated. Make you know, with a, a say a peanut. That's the same thing that happens to me. Like, even if I do mm. touch it, like there was one, I remember one night in, um, in college where I was cleaning up peanut butter because I didn't really think that touching it was that big of a deal at that point. Mm-hmm. And then I, I ended, I ended up touching my face a little bit and, and went to my, my roommate at the end of the night. It was like, do you have any Benadryl? They opened their door to me like, Oh my God, what happened to your face? I'm like, yeah. Um, but so in this instance, I, uh, <laughs> I was, I was on set. We were on set for six days. It took to, to film this short and it was a period short 1972, you know, they dressed an entire house. And then also my director's crew were practically all flown in from Columbia university in New York city. So there were all these New Yorkers that were down in Pittsburgh to make a Pittsburgh film. It was still to this day, one of the most exciting and prestigious films, professional films that I've, I've been on. Uh, as a, as a main actor. And so that said, it was a very, is a very timed and very specific kind of shoot. Cause you know, they couldn't go over budget or anything like that. This was, I mean, it was, you, you, if you see it, it had some money in it because it is beautiful, but one, so it was the second to last day of shooting it was the fifth day. And before we had all even got onto set at all, even on day one, they asked all of the main actors and the main uh, crew and the crew in general, if anybody had any allergies, I said, I do, I, I can't eat peanut butter or nuts, but you know, you can have it on set. Just put a, put a little sign. So I don't touch it because if I see something that looks like it could have any kind of nuts in it, I will ask, or I will avoid it. Um, and so that was all I was really asking. And they, they responded, okay, no nuts on set. I'm like, well, you don't have to do that, <laughs> but whatever. That's really nice. So second to last day, we were going to lunch and I had already gotten my costume and makeup on the day for the day, but I was going to be acting after lunch. And I got my lunch, which was, I remember to this day what it was called. I, I don't really know what it means or if anybody has this in general, but it was called a Jakarta wrap. That's what they named this, this sandwich wrap. So imagine like a tortilla with a bunch of like fixings in it and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, my director was vegan. And so she decided to get a vegan caterer for the entire shoot, mm, which is fine, sure. whatever. Um, but what they do is to substitute meat sometimes. They have to use other things like yep. nut sauce. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're so, right. So I get my lunch. I sit down and I take one bite of this sandwich wrap. And I swallow it and then I taste it. Then I oh. taste what I know to be peanuts. It was peanut sauce, peanut, like the, it was the main course of this sandwich, mm-hmm. the main, the main ingredient. And I, you know, I obviously noticed, noticed this immediately. I'm confused because I have no idea why there are nuts in a wrap. I never would have thought that I never would have even thought to ask. And what I have to do in these situations, because Oh, so like w- about the, about the, uh, the reaction that I have. So I was talking about that poison ivy sensation, but if I eat something that's like poison ivy, that means that it re- makes my, my flesh and skin react every part that it touches all the way down my body. Oh so yeah. 
So it's, it's from the, the mouth to the esophagus to the stomach. It's just a mess inside me. And mm. it's, it's just a very painful. And that's basically it. And really the only thing that I can do, because I think Benadryl used to help back in the day, but anymore, it just doesn't. And I just have to either one of two things. I either have to throw it up as much as I possibly can, mm-hmm. or just let it travel its way through me. I usually try to go to sleep so that I don't have to feel it. Mm-hmm. So I try to like knock myself out and just go to sleep. And so I do the, the, the first of those, I try to go and throw it up and I've gotten real good at it over the years. It's, it's such a relief <laughs> if I eat nuts that it, you know, I have to do that, but this time it just didn't happen. I just couldn't do it. And so I'm like, you know, I, I come back from the bathroom and I'm sitting at the table and I am distraught. I am distraught. And there was only one person that was sitting around me at that time. Cause we were all like in line and sitting down and like eating in order to like get back to work. And there was a PA there and, um, and he go and he sees that I'm distressed, distressed. And he goes, what's wrong? And I'm like, I just, I just ate a nut and I don't know, like I'm allergic. And now I don't know what's going to happen. And, and he gets very upset too. Um, and eventually I have to like go and tell my producer that, that this happened. Uh, not only that, but, but because I understand the, the criticalness of the situation, I start crying because I'm under the impression, not under the impression. She tells me (laughs) that if we do not film today, we do not make our day and they cannot come. They cannot stay an extra day, you know, to film some more. So I had to film, I had to film. And and she and and so she told me for for one thing she says she says take two Claritin D's I'm like are you sure that's okay <laughs> like is that safe and she's like yeah my my doctors are my parents are doctors I'm like okay it didn't do anything so um basically she's like what do we do in this situation do you know how you react what do we do and I'm like this is this is all that you can do take all of my scenes that I was supposed to do today and put them directly after lunch, get them over with. So I could just go home and suffer in peace. And, and she, and so that's what, what they did. Um, and they had a, you know, as soon as, as soon as like we were done with lunch, they had to put all my, all the, the poor, you know, makeup artists had to put my makeup all the way back on because I had already cried it off because I was like going to ruin the shoot. And then, and, and also, but also they, after they put my makeup back on, I remember them continuing to look through the viewfinder of the camera. We use a film camera. This was like 1972 all the way. We had a, a Panavision camera gigantic um, that they kept, they had to look through the physical viewfinder to see if my skin was blotching through the makeup. Mm. There are, and and we filmed a scene and the, there's a scene in the movie where I have performed it. I acted with a, a, a 10 year old and a dog in the scene and I'm in terrible pain. You, you wouldn't know, um, mm-hmm. but you can try to spot it and, um, and see, and see how I did, but yeah. And, and to, to go back to a, another little tidbit, like that same PA came over to me in the inner room where they were setting up the camera as I was sitting on the couch, just waiting for this to just be over. And he goes, listen, I need to tell you something. I am so sorry, but I'm the one who ate your lunch because apparently they had sent me a, a container that had my name on it or, or, or it said no, no peanuts or whatever. And he mm. also had an allergy and he took it, you know, not knowing it was for someone else. And, um, and the biggest regret of the whole day was that I didn't console him and comfort him more. All mm-hmm. I was, I was, I did, I wasn't mean, but I was just kind of cold. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And I was just like trying to just 
go away, you know? Um, but, but I'm sure that he felt worse than even me because for me, when I tell this story, I feel like uh, a freaking superhero because I literally had to <laughs> act through it, some of the most terrible pains some people might ever experience. Um, and, and I, and I was able to do it, but yeah, that's my, I guess that's my, my spinal tap story. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. Well, we've come to the point of the show now where we have what's called shameless plugs. You can shamelessly plug anything and be as shameless as you want to be with no shamelessness spared. So what do you have? The thing that I care for people to really indulge in the most is the YouTube show because it is a mixed bag every single week of just anything that I like to do and talk about. I try to keep it as interesting as possible, but this is people at home won't see, but I have this, I have, oh, it's, it's under a bunch of wires. I have this wheel of, of topics and we spin it. It's a game show wheel. It clicks, you know, until it finally mm-hmm. lands on, on the final category. And this week it is spooky story. So it's oh. going to be like a 20 minute story that I wrote and narrated um, all the characters. And, and I hope that it turns out I haven't finished it yet. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you also have your, um, it looks like a fake food channel. Yeah. That we didn't talk about, about that, but yeah, it's not a channel. Well, I mean, actually it's part of the, the show itself. There, there are some, some bits in there, but I, I said, I told you I graduated as a, as an artist, as mm-hmm. a, um, a, technically a graphic designer, but, but I also learned a little bit of, of every single art form. And so now I sculpt cast and paint and produce uh fake food props for Hollywood and customers all across the country. Oh, that's great. And that's great. Well, wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Jess, it's, it's been wonderful to talk to you and get a chance to meet you finally. Um, you know, we've kind of bantered back and forth a couple of times trying to get a date set. And um, you know, we finally found some mutual time where we could do it. And I'm glad that you came on. It was really nice to have you today. And Thank best you so of- much for having me and creating this outlet for artists to talk about what they do. Well, you know, I, I really think that, you know, for people that are, you know, it serves a couple of purposes for people that are up and coming a chance to, you know, one more place where you can show yourself. And then for folks that have been at it for a while, that may even be you know, further in or even at the tail end of their careers, a chance to keep their stories alive. Yeah. Because we have a lot, you know, a lot of history out there. A lot of people that just did wonderful things over the years and, you know, maybe there are some folks out there listening that may not have seen it the first time around, or a lot of times when I listen to podcasts too, it's like, I, I remember things that I forgot. I remembered mm-hmm. if you know what that, if you can follow me on that one and everything. Do, so yeah. that, that's kind of my mission in doing this and everything, sharing the stories, keeping an oral history yeah. alive. And I was glad to have you be part of it. I really enjoyed your, uh, you know, your uh, episode, your talks and your, uh, you know, sharing your experiences with us and everything, Jess, and um, consider me part of your Rolodex. Come back anytime you have something you'd like to promote. We'd love to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Absolutely. Absolutely. Folks, this has been Jess Paul here on Foul Players Radio, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks again, Jess. Bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our interviews with our guests, all with the intention of promoting the performing arts and preserving their history by sharing the wonderful stories of those who participated. You can now support Foul Players Radio on Patreon. Go to www.patreon.com slash foulplayersradio, 
Also, make sure you go to whatever platform on which you listen to Foul Players Radio and leave us a review and hopefully a five-star rating. Thanks again, and see you next time.